If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, the third chapter? Ephesians chapter 3, our text this morning is verses 14 through 21. And as you turn there, if you're able and with us this morning, if you would stand with me in honor of the Lord's word. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. This is why I kneel before the Father. Every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by him. I ask that he will strengthen you in the inner selves from the riches of his glory through the Spirit. I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith. As a result of having strong roots in love, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth, together with all believers. I ask that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. Glory to God, who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we are in the third week of seven weeks in kind of walking through various parts as the lectionary takes us through Ephesians. This first three weeks have been in these first three chapters where Paul is essentially telling us, this is your story, this is your song, this is what you should know, this is who you are, here is your story. And then the next four weeks, as we'll see, chapter four starts with, therefore, now that you know this story, now here's what you need to do about it. And let me back up just a little bit. If you have your Bible open, if you'll go back to chapter one, Hopefully, if you've been with us, you have three words circled in chapter one. Those words are adoption, ransom, and inheritance. Now, Paul is saying to us, here, are, here is your story. You have been adopted as children of God. You have been ransomed. You've been brought out of your brokenness, your slavery, your bondage. And now you have an inheritance, a new creation that is coming that you can live into. That is your story. And then last week, we looked that in chapter 2, Paul begins to say, and here's the next part of that story, Christ is our peace who has broken down every dividing wall. In this particular letter, Paul is obsessed with, fascinated with the fact that this boundary that has existed for so long in his own life and the life of his people, this boundary between Jew and Gentile has been torn down, and now there is one new body in Christ Jesus. But as Paul continues to think about this and write about this elsewhere, he will say it's not just that boundary, but now there is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. He is tearing down all those dividing walls, reconciling us. In fact, Paul will say elsewhere, giving us a ministry of reconciliation. That is the story. We have been set free, but we've been set free to set others free and to bring down those boundaries and those borders. And then in the early part of chapter 3, Paul will say, and that is not easy. In fact, it seems like that's a pretty good story, but you'd be surprised how, how, how fixed people are on their boundaries. And it's not easy to tear down those walls. In fact, it'll get you thrown in prison. And uh, so I'm in prison but willing to suffer for the sake of that story. This morning, we turn to the latter part of it. And this morning, Paul doesn't want to kind of finish this story by saying, and now 
Here is my PowerPoint presentation, Ephesians, on the four things that are important to end the story that I'll start with the letter B or whatever. Here are the things you need to know. There is something we need to know, but it's not so much a lecture that Paul gives us as it is a prayer that Paul prays for us. And this is very important. If, of the things I want you to get this morning, lean in right here. I think it is important that Paul ends this section with a prayer because what Paul wants us to know in this story is something that is not only hard for us to grasp intellectually, it is more something that is hard for us to to be grasped by. So if I can say it this way, it's not so much that there is something Paul wants us to get as it is that there's something Paul wants to have get us. I, I think I've told you the story that when I, uh, for years, uh, one of my main mentors, a guy named uh, Steve Green, um, I, I was on staff at Pasadena first when he was pastor there, I was college pastor, and then he came to Oklahoma and we taught at SNU together, but he was called to be the pastor while he was there at Oklahoma City first, and um, I became the worship leader with him for a while. So for probably about seven or eight years, I got to sit under his preaching, and he is so gifted, and just the, I learned so much about interpreting the scripture and exegeting it, and just creative homiletics. But one thing about Steve, Steve is really intellectual, and there were times when I just would look around and wonder, I hope everybody got it today, and not just the seminary grads, you know? And there was one of those weeks where he just preached this unbelievable sermon, but I was a little worried that it was only, you know, kind of the grad students who got it. And so I came to him afterwards, and I said, Steve, that was so profound and amazing. I, I just hope everybody got it. And he looked at me, as he would tend to say, and he'd go, oh, Scotty. He always called me that, Scotty. Oh, Scotty. Scotty, I have decided long ago I've given up that every Sunday everybody will get it. I'm just hopeful that at some point, if they're there long enough, it will get them, right? I love that, love that idea. And so today, I'm not sure that Paul wants us to get something as much as he wants something to get us, to capture us. And that's why it comes in a form of a prayer. So if you have your Bible open in verses 14 and 15, Paul begins by saying, this is why I kneel before the Father, because Every ethnic group is being brought together in heaven and on earth. And God is trying to draw the whole creation back to God's self. But then there are four petitions in this prayer. Verse 16, I ask that God will strengthen you in your inner selves. This language of strengthen in your inner self is, only shows up one other time in Paul's writings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul will say this. You may remember the text where Paul will say, even though our outer self is wasting our way, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That passage means so much to me at 55. Um, in fact, he probably wrote it about 55, even though things seem to be falling apart in the outward self. There is an inner self that is constantly being renewed and matured and grown. Isn't that fascinating? There is a point in all our lives where we stop growing and we start shrinking, right? Where that growth that has taken place all of a sudden begins to move in another direction and things begin on the outer self to fall away. But Paul's assurance is that that inner life never really does that. That Paul's prayer for us 
And oh, it's a good prayer. His prayer is that, would you just please grow up? Would you grow up? Would you continue to be matured and strengthened day by day in your inner life? And then the second petition in verse 17, and I ask that Christ will live in your hearts through faith. I was talking to Pastor Heather this morning that it's interesting that we use the language, especially with children, of inviting Jesus into your heart, which is actually a language the Scripture doesn't use a lot. Jesus never, for example, asked somebody, have you invited me into your heart? But it's a language we frequently use, especially with children, of inviting Jesus into their heart. And this is really probably the primary text that is the basis of that idea. But it's always kind of funny, that idea that we invite Jesus into our heart. I've probably told you the story, but I love when Caleb was a little boy and we were playing catch in the front yard and, and he was doing pretty good. But then I started throwing faster and I threw it a little too fast and he missed it, hit him right in the middle of the chest. And he goes, oh, dad, oh, you've hurt Jesus, right? Um, <laughs> And probably many of us have those stories. Um, Noah and Carrie were leading worship at Middleton this morning, and I was joking about how there was a time when uh, Noah and Caleb were in the minivan, and Noah had just accepted Jesus into his heart. He was very excited about this. And, oh, yes, Mom, Jesus is in my heart. And Caleb, by this point, had grown into the theologian and was saying, Noah, he doesn't actually live in your heart. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, he was pontificating at five or whatever. It was fascinating, or six. Um, but we recognize, I mean, that language is not Paul praying that somehow the Spirit of Christ would swim and dwell within our atriums and ventricles. That, that the language of heart, especially in the ancient world, is really a language about, about gut. It's that sense that when we experience something that's really traumatic, we feel it in the deepest kind of gut and part of our being. And so Paul is praying that Christ would be the very center, the very reality that our lives are oriented around, that everything would, would rotate around Christ. By the way, that is a lot of the reason why we worship every Sunday and gather together, as I love in the book of Revelation, where the revelator steps in and realizes everything in the universe is centered around the throne because this morning we're here <laughs> in a world that day after day is trying to tell us that everything revolves around us, that we are a people who gather today and say, oh no, there is one who actually sits on the throne. And not just in the universe, but sits on the throne of our own lives and is the center in which all things orbit. But this morning I want to pay particular attention to the last two petitions or prayers that Paul prays. And it begins in the latter half of verse 17 and goes all the way through verse 19. Where Paul says this, as a result of having strong roots in love, and you should underline that, that line, as a result of having strong roots in love, that's a powerful image that our roots would be deep down in the reality of love. Then he goes on to pray that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth together with all believers. And then verse 19, that you'll know the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge so that you will be filled entirely with the fullness of God. That the major part of this prayer is that we would be rooted deeply in love and that we would continue to grow. And this is the part I think that is, is not a part that we can grasp so much with our head, but it is a part that grasps us. 
And Paul's prayer is that we would get rooted in that and that over and over again we would understand the width and depth and length and height of this love and that love would be the very foundation out of which our life in the next three chapters will then flow out of that reality of our knowledge and rootedness in the powerful, unconditional, grace-filled love of God. You with me? So this morning, I, I want to do something I don't do very often because I get insecure when I start talking about this, but, but I want to wade a little bit into the therapeutic today. The reason I'm always insecure is I, I took a few pastoral counseling classes, but I feel like I know just enough psychology to be dangerous and not helpful, um, but I'll do my best this morning. The little bit I know about how we are wired psychologically, emotionally, the way we are wired relationally, I would say this. Here's what I know. As humans, we are a complex reality of connectedness and differentiation. That's a fancy way of saying, as Reuben Welch I read last week, we really do need each other. And so we are this complex reality of we really are connected to each other, but also trying to figure out who we are as individuals in the midst of this community. And our ability to live and love as healthy individuals in community is largely dependent upon our experience and understanding of love. So this isn't very complex, and yet it's very complicated that our ability to live as healthy individuals within community and love others is largely dependent upon how we have experienced love ourselves. So if we use Paul's language, it's out of the vast reservoir of our experience of love that we are able then to love one another. That's challenging. As one of my counseling professors used to say, we are not, we, we are not a bucket full of marbles bouncing off each other. We are a bucket full of grapes, squishing each other, sometimes breaking the skin open of each other. At Middleton, I said, leaking on each other, which didn't sound quite right, but I said it again. Um, but our lives are this kind of squishy mess of trying to love one another, be reflections of God's love to each other, but really in many ways only able to do that out of the reservoir out of which we have been loved. And so here's where I want to kind of tiptoe into to counseling or into dynamics, if you will. I do think, and please hang with me, this is ideal. In the most idealistic way, I do think this is why God's intention for us at its best is for us to be in covenantal relationships in which children are born. So I, I've told you before, we didn't, Caleb came early. We were in grad school and we thought, oh yeah, two years from now when we graduate, let's have children. And Debbie got sick and she was really sick and went to the doctor to see what was wrong. And she called me and said, hey, the doctor told me what's wrong. I said, is it serious? She said, yeah, <laughs> really serious. I said, well, what is it? She goes, I don't want to talk about it on the phone. Let's meet at Crocodile Cafe, which was our favorite restaurant. I said, okay. So we met and, you know, she's doing small talk over dinner. I'm like, stop it. What is wrong with you, right? Like, let's get to it. What's wrong? She goes, oh, Dr. Dell starts to kind of test and we're having a baby. I said, oh, 
That's not funny. Seriously, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Took a couple of reassurances, but indeed, we were having a child. Now, we were not economically ready and probably intellectually ready, but in the reality of life, there's this kind of reality in which Caleb entered into this community that was ready to celebrate and welcome him, and not just Deb and I as parents, but a community of extended family. And boy, it did not take us very long for us to go, hey, this is nice, but we need some help here. And so we showed up at church and we came to the service and we said, hey, look what happened. Um, Y'all in? <laughs> Everybody want to help? And they said, yeah. And by the way, that agreement from them also included you, so thank you. Um, but they agreed to be the kind of community that would be a reflection of love. Now again, I recognize that that's idealistic. And that for many of you, that, that was not the reality. I, I know like in Deb's life, Deb had this single mom who heroically tried to be that for her. And a dad who was distant who tried to be that. And that all of us in various kinds of complex ways are trying to do with our spouses and with our friends and with our children be reflections of the kind of love we know they need in order to have a reservoir in order to love others, especially in that parental relationship. And the reality is, as healthy as that was, and I want to say the, the best gift my parents gave me was not a car at 16, which they did not give me. Um, <laughs> the best gift they gave me was not anything material. It was the reality of the security both of their love of God, love of each other, and especially their love of me. And that, that's an amazing gift. But I want to say this carefully because my mother's here today. But it wasn't perfect, right? Like, as I became a young adult, I realized, man, they're a mess. <laughs> like, there, there are all sorts of realities. I, maybe you had this experience, too, where you come to a certain age where you realize, oh, yeah, my dad is also a kid. And it's kind of working through the realities of what it meant to be loved by Harold and Edith because they were great but really broken too. And let's not even get into the carpenter side of my family, which there's a few more of them here today. But the reality of, of the work that it was for them to love each other and the work that it was for them to love me and, and how here's the other reality is it would be great if you gave birth to robots, who you could then kind of beep up, boop, 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 put in kind of unconditional love to them, and then they could just respond. But here's the problem. You give birth to humans who are their own complex messiness of receiving and not receiving, of understanding and not understanding that kind of love. And, and it would be great if that was just in isolation, but here's the other problem is you need to not just be loved by them, but you kind of need to be loved by others also. And so if I could, you know, do some self-therapy in front of you this morning, and you can send me the bill later, but if I could do that, I realized that in my own life, one of the beauties of, of my growing up was I did get to experience so much of God's love in a community called church. But no offense, Y'all are a mess. And sometimes that love was given beautifully and sometimes not. And we moved around a bit, especially in my younger years. And so I realized, oh man, 
we would come to a church that was loving us, but we, we were kind of brought in to do a service of some kind for these people. And so I began to realize so much of my acceptance was dependent upon them liking my parents and liking me. So a lot of what I feel like I received as love was actually in response to performance. And so I feel like I've lived a lot of my life on a platform trying to help make people like me enough to give me that. And then we would move and I would end up in new schools where I didn't have deep roots of friendship. And so I would have to kind of perform there. And I, I've realized so much of my own brokenness and things that I've had to work through in terms of how I've had to love others was now I look back and realize, oh man, so many of my friendships and relationships through young adulthood and college even were attempts to receive a kind of love that I needed an affirmation, but I wasn't able to give back. And so once I received it, I didn't know how to be a friend in return. I just knew how to work hard enough to get your love without knowing fully how to give that back. Are you with me? That's been really healthy in my marriage. No, but like, do you understand? Like we've had to figure out how to love each other in all of that. And so Paul is saying to us, you need a kind of love that becomes a reservoir out of which then you can love others. And I don't know if I can tell you how to get that in three points. And I don't know if I can lecture you into that. And I don't even know if I can quote Old Testament scriptures to convince you of that. All I can do is this, pray that you would come to understand the width and height and depth of God's love. And you would know that, that it would fill you with the fullness of God, and then you could live out of that. This is why, by the way, it's so important that in families and in churches, we learn both to celebrate those moments where we are the reflections of love that, we, that each other needed, but we also learn to forgive those closest to us when they were so human and sometimes really broken. Because if we can't do that, we will carry that with us in forms that will break others. And so we have to learn, as Diane prayed earlier, for some of you, I don't want to minimalize how deep and challenging, this is why it's a prayer more than a lecture, that God would help us to let go. We didn't have time this morning, but the Old Testament text for today, which is just so strange, given the, le- the epistle, the, the, gospel, the Old Testament text for today is David and Bathsheba. <laughs> but maybe that's the text today because it's a reminder of the way God's people damage each other. And if there's good news today, it's that we are, be, we are invited to be reflections of God's love, but not replacements of God's love. Can I say that again? I thought of that on the car, in, in the car between Middleton and here, and I thought, oh, that was so good. I wrote it in my notes. I want to make sure I say it again. We are called to be reflections of God's love, but we are not called to be replacements of God's love. For there is a depth of love that can can be reflected in us, but can only truly be experienced when we have received 
the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord that is unconditional and is grace without merit. Occasionally I say profound things and they're mostly accidental. But before I say that, let me say one other thing. What's true for us as individuals is true for our life and community as well. So when Paul says every ethnic group in heaven or on earth is recognized by him, I want to say our national and ethnic rivalries and conflicts are a kind of global family dysfunction being lived out in systemic ways. I was thinking about this, by the way, as I was watching the Olympics. I really want um, our swimmers to win. Right, right? Those Australians. Um, I'm really rooting for Katie Ledecky today. Now, I don't know her, but somehow if she wins, that means I won too today, right? Like, isn't it strange that these next two weeks where we celebrate the globe coming together, the globe comes together so we can beat each other, right? At least there's no bloodshed hopefully going on. But what is true for us as individuals is true systemically. And so Paul, I think, looks at the world through the eyes of God and says, oh, that y'all would know the depth of God's love and act out of that reservoir. But back to saying unprofound things. So every once in a while, I accidentally say something smart. And I did it a few months ago, and Diane caught it and said, basically, hey, you should make a t-shirt out of this. Um, I was talking about God's forgiveness and God's love, and I said something along these lines, that it is God's grace, and, and I'm saying it again because I think this is the summary of Paul's first three chapters of Ephesians. It is God's grace that forgives us, but it is God's love that heals us. And in a couple of profound ways, Paul is saying God's grace makes us new. It, it, it forgives us. It redeems us. It, it gives us an inheritance. It breaks down boundaries. But it is ultimately God's love that Paul prays we would grow into that will ultimately heal our lives, both as individuals and in community, but also in the world. And so Paul prays that we would know the depths of that and live out of it. My mom's best friend in life was a woman named Glafer Gill, and um, she's been with the Lord a few years now. Uh, Glafery, um, if you're a longtime Nazarene, the name Gilliland may be familiar. Glafery's dad was a guy named Ponder Gilliland who pastored Bethany First and some other churches for a number of years. Glafery was my mom's, uh, they went to what's now Point Loma to Pasadena College, and they were... Um, luck of the draw roommates, you know how you show up and, and just happened that these two pastors' daughters got put together and became lifelong friends. Glafrey was n- never got married. Glafrey uh, taught school for a while. Incredibly creative, incredibly wise. But in the latter half of Glafrey's life, got really sick and um, spent a lot of years of her life in significant physical pain, and the last several years of her life was really isolated to bed. And, but amazingly, was able to carry on all of these connections and relationships and friendships. And even though she couldn't get out in the world, I don't know anybody in my life who's had more insight into the ways that the world operates than Glafrey. Well, because of their friendship, I got the privilege of kind of feeling like Glafrey was a kind of aunt. 
Um, I say to people, if I've had a kind of spiritual guru in my life, it's probably Glafrey. But Glafrey call every once in a while, and um, because of, it's hard to explain her insight, because of who she was, you could never lie to her, because she always saw through it. So I remember she called me one time when I was here as a student. And she called me, she says, God, this is Glaif, just checking in on you. How you doing? I said, oh, Glaif, me and God, man, we're doing great. We're doing great. God and I are just coasting right now. And she said, well, that's okay. But just remember, you can only coast one direction, downhill. I was like, oh, <laughs> great. Yeah, I said, repentance, repentance. It was several years later, because I, I had to have been in grad school, or maybe just after, Glafrey called and said, hey, Scott, how are you and God doing? That's how she usually, the question she usually led with. And I was ready this time. I was not coasting anywhere. We are climbing. <laughs> oh, God and I, we're climbing mountains together, Glafe. And I started to list all these things I was doing. Oh, man, Glafe. Oh, man, I'm, it's great. I'm teaching this, and I'm writing this. I'm working on this. I'm going to, you know, this, oh, all these people got baptized. Oh, so great. Listen to all these things. And then there was this real gap of silence, which I assumed was her gathering herself to say, oh, blessed are you, Scott, son of Theron and Barbara. Um, you know, that, that she was going to get right. And she was just silent for a long time. And she said, Scott, you, you know God loves you, right? And I said, yeah, Glyphry, yeah, I know. I know God loves me. And she goes, no, no. No, you know God loves you, right? And now I was a little irritated. I said, yeah, Glaive, I, yeah, I know God loves me. Bit of a silence. She goes, Scott, you, you know God loves you, right? I realized what she had heard and spiritually seen I wasn't coasting anymore, but man, I was doing all these things. That the same kid um, who acted and played the clown and tried to get his eighth grade friends to think he was okay had now transferred that onto God. I was trying to do all these things to make sure that I could be worthy of God's approval and love. And none of those things were bad. None of those things were bad. But Glaive was the voice reminding me the storehouse out of which we do those things is the knowledge of the wit and breadth and height and depth of the love of God. And when we know that, then we can be filled with the fullness of God and be able to respond out of that. I'm still learning that. And so thanks for your patience. I'm still learning how to be a pastor who does this not because I need your de approval desperately. But I'm still learning how to pastor and love out of the storehouse of the love that God has for me.
to my wife and my kids and my family. Be patient. Love you deeply. I'm still trying to learn how to do that out of the storehouse of the love that God has for me. And I haven't done it perfectly and probably will still continue to do it in very broken ways. But we have been called to be reflections of that love, not replacements. And so Paul's prayer for each of us today, it's not a lecture, it's a prayer that we would know and that renewed inner self at the very center of our being, we would know the width and height and breadth of the love of God and be able to live from that fullness of God. And when that happens, then Paul can pray a prayer that hopefully you recognize. It's a prayer I pray often for us. that out of that power of love that is within us, that then God could do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And a community who's learned to love in those kinds of ways would bring glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in this moment, but also in generation after generation after generation who have received and extended that love back to God. Help us today, O oh God. You have adopted us, set us free. We have an inheritance of a new creation. You are tearing down the boundaries. But today I pray, somehow in the mystery of your spirit, that you would teach us how wide and deep and high and broad is your love for us. God, I I pray for all of us, but there are many listening or online or present here today for whom the love that they have needed from community and those closest to them has itself been broken and flawed. And some of us in in our fragileness and fallenness, we have not responded well to the love that has been extended to us. The gospel today is a gospel that invites us to let go and to begin to forgive, but it is a gospel that meets us there. You love us where we are and who we are. And so I pray today, especially for those here today who need it most, I pray that we would know that we know that we know that we know that you love us and that you would fill us with the fullness of your love today. I pray for that for us as a community. We will not love each other perfectly, 
And so teach us how to forgive each other. Teach us how to best be reflections of the love that each other needs to be reminded of who you are, but we are reflections, not replacements of that love. And so may your love that passes all understanding, may it fill us to the full. Your grace forgives us today, but your love heals us. And so heal us, we pray today. For it's in Jesus' name, the one who has embraced us in his love. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?